0: This episode of the Political Worldview podcast is funded by the University of Birmingham's Alumni Impact Fund. For more information on this and other projects, please visit birmingham.ac.uk forward slash alumni.
1: Hello world, welcome to the Political Worldview podcast, May 24th, 2017, the UK General Election Student Voices Edition. I'm Adam Quinn and I'm coming to you from the Political Science and International Studies Department of the University of Birmingham in England. There is, uh, you may have noticed, a general election campaign underway in the UK. The vote itself will be on June the 8th. Polls tell us it's highly likely that Theresa May's Conservative government will be re-elected with an increased majority. They have, however, been slipping somewhat in the polls since the campaign started. And in the last 48 hours, a terrorist attack has politically scrambled the conversation. Um, I am here with one frequent guest and friend of the podcast, uh, who I usually enlist when British politics is on the agenda. That is Mark Goodwin, lecturer in British politics. How are you doing, Mark? I'm all
2: right, thanks, Adam. Yeah, very happy to be here.
1: But this is not intended to be a podcast dominated by our voices, uh, surrounded as we are by many thousands of young people who will be voting in this election, in many cases for the first time. We thought what we would do is bring some of them into the podcast studio to see what they are thinking. Uh, And now I'll introduce you to who the young people uh, that are representing their cohort for the purpose of this podcast are. Uh, They are Zed Salam. Hello, Zed. Hi. Hi. David Cogan, hi. Ryan Bennett, hello. And Danny Verity, hi. And they are all enrolled on various undergraduate programs within the within the department here. Uh, Thanks very much for being with us, guys. We appreciate your, uh, uh, your uh, time and your uh, willingness to embrace the daunting task of being the voices of your generation for the purposes of the next 45 to, to 50 minutes. Uh, uh, bear in mind that if you uh, uh, in any way uh, stray from the approved views of your generation, then, uh, then you will have penalties to pay. Um, <laughs> Some of what we want to talk about is the politics and policy of the election itself, and we'll have plenty of time to, to get to that in due course. But we also want to talk about what the experience of this election campaign is like viewed from the perspective of a young person since Mark and I sadly but very clearly uh, no longer qualify uh, for, that, for that category. So I think we'll, we'll start off with, with that question. Um, what does this... Election campaign look like uh, from the vantage point of a student enrolled in a, a politics program, admittedly, but nevertheless, you know, acquainted with the broader cohort of uh, uh, of people in their late teens and early twenties. Danny, give uh, us give us a, a starter for ten. <laughs> what's, what's your what's your read?
3: Personally, I think the campaigns seem to be extremely divided. There seems to be a few. Floating around with the smaller um, uh, parties, whether it's UKIP, Lib Dems, but it seems very much conservatives, right wing, stick with what we are doing now and lean forward, strong and stable.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yeah,
1: could, I'm glad we managed to get that phrase yeah, in. Get it in. Good word. <laughs> I wonder how many times it will be said in the
0: course yeah.
3: of Yeah, or it seems to be Labour, which of course, which is quite for the standard central has strayed much more to the left and uh, has a much more radical manifesto than uh, perhaps people would have expected, which has divided people significantly and from all backgrounds, I think.
1: And is it a divided scene in your own social milieu or here on campus? Or or do you, do you uh, think the division is happening somewhere else and here it's, uh, here it it's much can, more homogeneous?
3: I think it's uh, interesting, depending on who you're with and where you are, i think there's a definitely a generation split personally in my own family as parents versus children (laughs) and even in my own social group students do tend to be more left-wing but there are still splits in terms of tory versus labor at the minute that i see and uh, and they're quite there isn't really a lot of from my perspective a lot of undecideds from my social group it's either you're hard one way or hard the other uh, which is really interesting
1: Hmm. Brian, you are the head of the politics society, or you were the head oh, well, of the yeah, politics it society. You may have turned out uh, <laughs> as far as that role is concerned. I guess that that gives you something of a vantage point on the campus uh, as a whole. What uh, what's your perception of the campaign been so far?
4: Um, I think, in regards to kind of young people, I think this is definitely not a young person's election. I think when you looked at kind of twenty ten, there was. Big topics around kind of uh, free education and things like that. Whereas I think this election here has been dominated by other um, kind of issues. So in the recent days we've had social care being dominated, labour have kind of gone on the front foot with kind of pensions and tackling kind of old age issues rather than young people. I think generally, whilst young people whilst looking at social media, may seem like an ever-growing presence. I think still the issues affecting young people, i.e. education, and to a certain extent, I'd say maybe issues around Brexit, aren't really dominating the election. And I think it's becoming, and possibly with the recent events in Manchester as well, where security tends to affect older generations in in the UK, that this is an election that's been framed, that generally most general elections are framed around, around older people's issues, and I think that possibly is reflected in voter turnout. But
1: yeah, we, 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 which in a sense I suppose like, affects the perceptions of young people. If they all turned up and decided, you know, that they didn't like these offers that are targeted at older at older voters, then that would have some sort of effect. But uh, historically, they don't seem to do that.
4: Yeah, I think I think that's I think nobody can really pinpoint why uh, voter turnout is low. Is it is it because the politics doesn't reflect the young people? Is it because young people don't go out, go go out and vote in the first mm-hmm. place? But I think, on the whole, whilst there are some positive signs around young people registering to vote and looking possibly more engaged in the system, I think, overall, this election's still being framed very much not as an as a, as a election that welcomes younger people into kind of the, the political arena.
1: Dave, uh, what's what your read on it, Ben?
5: Um, I think this election has been very personal, it's been very decisive, and with the campaigns of both parties, with like Theresa May not wanting to meet the public, when Jenny like meets meeting the public but in a really incompetent fashion. So it's, so it's become... That's an, that's an interesting political choice. Yeah, Is yeah. it
1: better to fail to turn up to meet the public at all or, or, to, up, or to turn up and stupid, you know, yeah. knock over yeah, the crockery um, and uh, like, shake their hand wrong?
5: Yeah. Um, well, but, like, it's got four weeks to do that, or two weeks until it ends, yeah. But um, I think um, with what's happening, especially with, especially with, with like, young people I speak to, we are friends with, there's no real choice it's just like Theresa May, strong and stable, and Jeremy Corbyn, who has got people like him, people don't like him, he's got baggage, mm. but that baggage can be used in a really positive way. In the other parties, like the Greens and Lib Dems, they, no one's really wanting to like look at them for as alternatives. It's been it's become essentially like, like a two party election again. Mm. Where like people are even gonna vote Labour. Are all conservative and there's no real mm. in line with, with with people, parties, and other opinions. I, I, I can it's see Mark looking government.
1: pleased over there because that was what yeah. he was saying last time we discussed British politics on the podcast about the idea that it's uh, it's coming back to the two party system that, that that we had before. Let's, let's finish our opening round. Yeah. So, um, well, I
0: if I was if I wasn't studying politics. I would, like, really struggle to follow it, the election campaign because, well, before this would be following the American election and that seems to be, like, in your face all the time over there, whereas here you don't really see it day to day. So when I speak to people who don't do politics, like, like you are saying people are really divided. Um, when I, I get a sense of, like, people just... Like, they're vaguely against Brexit, but they don't know what that means in terms of will I vote Lib Dem, will I vote Labour, will I uh, just, you know, vote Tory, whatever, like... I don't think like we were saying before we went that, uh, like and you're saying the two thousand and one election was like really boring. Like I think this is the sort of sense with this election. It's not particularly contested. Mm. And just young people don't really know what's happening, I get the sense. And and you're saying it's not targeted to them. It's mostly focused on pensions, I feel. Mm. So It's not really the young people's election.
1: If I was to voice a stereotype of what, you know, uh, a certain kind of middle-aged, middle-brown newspaper reader's view of what goes on with young people in election would be, it would be this, that they're all in a bubble on social media where everyone (laughs) regularly shares one more angry voice, uh, (laughs) memes that explain that the Conservative Party embodies unprecedented depths of historical evil uh, that Jeremy Corbyn is a the one who will lead Britain back to the political promised land and b the, the target of a malevolent conspiracy uh, <laughs> of, of, of the media uh, and that this is basically something that vast swathes of young people have bought hook, line and sinker and they're in for a really rude awakening when it turns out that the actual votes cast on, on June the 8th Um, you know, do not reflect the false perception that seeing all of that on social media would give you. Do you guys who, uh, 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 I guess spending a lot of time on social media is not purely a habit of the young, I'm on Facebook constantly, but on your own social media feeds, etc., do you get the impression that there is any truth to that, that there are... um, bubbles and echo chambers uh, that lead people to have very misleading perceptions of like how their own personal political opinions relate to, you know, the spectrum of political opinions actually existing in society. Danny?
3: Yeah, massively. I feel like if I sat on Twitter all day with the people that I'm connected with on Twitter, I would think Labour were gonna win my landslide. Like everyone hates the Tories. Labour's fantastic and it's just it's quite a shock when you do come out of that bubble because you can get stuck in it and think oh it's all all going well until you speak to people outside of it and I think that's why it's so important for people to perhaps take at least an interest or at least explore different views whether that's reading different news sources and doing your research independently Um, because I definitely think people get stuck in a little bit of a bubble and perhaps get stuck in a bubble on the other side as well. I know uh, my father, for example, is possibly one of the most stout Tories I know, and he's surrounded by his people at work, family, are very Tory, and if I come in and say, oh, I'm supporting Labour, they're mm. quite shocked, they don't know anybody who is, and they just think, oh, mm. it's just kids. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who are just." you'll grow like, out of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. And of course, I mean, there's two different things there in a way. The, the, there's... There's the idea of trying to understand why someone might be motivated to support the policy positions of the other side. That kind of empathetic project, and maybe moving more towards the political centre in terms of one's own views. But then, even if one holds fast to one's views on on one side or other of the political spectrum, there's like still being aware that there are a large number of people who are on who are on the other side. With, with, with this, it's not so much even that it's. It's odd that many people would think Jeremy Corbyn is a good thing. It's that they seem uh, sometimes not to be aware that that is not the majority view. That there is a you know a very large constituency on the opposite side. Uh, Mark, are you, well, are you straining to get in? Well,
2: yeah, I am. Yeah, I mean, some very interesting it sort of takes on on the election and the campaign so far. I think, but I think this phenomenon is uh, a universal and trans-historical facts of politics that everybody thinks that their world is the world uh, everybody thinks that everybody around them votes the same way as them I mean earlier in the year we had a Conservative minister who came up to the department was talking about how in his, conti- his constituency everybody who voted UKIP thought that everybody else around him was going to vote UKIP and that is a function of class mm-hmm. okay? That, and, and shared experience and, and, and those kind of things. So there is a, obviously a pattern to the way that people vote and uh, these things can be self-reinforcing. And social media is only really one example of that. Not just class, but also age, uh, also, you know, a, a particular kind of uh, self-selecting uh, networks that reinforce um, a particular view. One of the things that I find interesting about social media, and bear in mind, of course, the form, what I think of as social media is probably to you the equivalent of using a BBC micro or a fax machine. You know, you're probably using forms of social media that I haven't even heard of. But one thing that interests me about the use of social media is that, you know, it is primarily about self-expression, okay, about trying to curate a kind of uh, image of yourself to the world. And when people post about politics, they're trying to express something about themselves, now, there's different ways of thinking about how voting behaviour works. One idea is that it's people vote in accordance with a, a kind of form of self-expression in a similar way. Okay, I'm a Labour kind of person, I'm a Green Party kind of person, I'm a mm-hmm. Conservative kind of person. But there's another way, that it, or another form of behaviour that is thought to be very important in, in voting, which is about people trying to choose between different teams of leaders, different groups of people who they think are more or less competent what you find if you study those kind of things uh, in terms of voting behavior is that young people are much more likely to say their voting is based on self-expression older people are much more likely to say they vote on the basis of who they think will be the best leader okay or who they think is the most competent team they're much less likely to express an ideological preference so i wonder if that's what we're seeing or what your sense is of why people post these things on Social media is it a genuine attempt to convert people, a gen- or, or is it just about that kind of idea of self-expression?
5: Yeah, um, I think in a really like cynical way, part of it can be a bit of vanity as well to get more likes, which in that's probably like a minority of people. But um, yeah, um, I agree with um, the whole point about how young people lo- like use social media for self-expression because um, like we want to picture ourselves as like for, as like you know like a better version ourselves really. So. Um, and we're into with all our friends with all of our friends we want to like sort of impress them and, and for example like Jamie Corbyn supporters all like left wing friends in general we want to like speak to each other about that and like we're left wing we you know get on with each other we you know share this political opinion whereas like whereas with someone who's like on the centre right or, or a conservative we, we wouldn't tend to like they wouldn't be our friends on social media really so, so like mm. wouldn't even know where they are, where they're from, really. So, yeah.
4: Right. We've obviously had the voter registration deadline recently. And I think that's kind of an observation of, of very much kind of what Dave was saying about the possibly the vanity also of, of showing that you are politically engaged. And I think, especially, my social media has been full of almost everyone pinning why they think that everyone should vote. And I think it is very much the fact that their views are not necessarily synoptic with the large proportion of, of the UK, UK majority.
1: Hmm. We talk uh, uh, in social science sometimes about virtue signalling, uh, about this idea that people make statements uh, not so much for the purpose of uh, persuading uh, anybody in particular that what they're saying is true, but for the purpose of signalling to the audience for, for, for their remarks that you know I am I am exquisitely morally elevated in the positions that I would wish to associate myself w- with and as a result of the silo effect of social media you sometimes find that you have ever and ever narrower narrower slices of people who are performing mainly that function to one another and therefore the intricacies of the moves you need to make to be more virtuous than the other people in that um, just get finer and finer and finer until eventually you have people rowing about who with a very slight misstep of language was perhaps uh, you know slighting uh, one particular ideological perspective I guess the, the the archetypes or stereotypes would be feminism or trespassing across some, some racial issue, while at the same time the mass population is somewhere miles away having uh, much less as they would see it, enlightened conversations but nevertheless conversations that are much closer to the centre ground of what will actually determine determine an election, and all of that gets completely forgotten. Danny.
3: I, I was just going to comment on the Use of social media, I do definitely see from my social media that I use and and see, is people who, again, it's not about um, converting people to different opinions. To me, it's a lot of people, particularly on Facebook, I see friends who I know agree politically with similar views to me, who a lot of them do, and will share different memes (laughs) in relation to that political view. And then it kind of brings an element of um, almost like I don't want to say camaraderie because that's a bit of an odd word, but
1: solidarity. Almost, yeah. It's Group kind of spirit. people
3: come together, people laugh at things about the other side, and it's fun mm. to have people share things that you find funny because they share the same political views. And I do think it's, I think possibly older generations that do not particularly use social media and aren't uh, particularly exposed to memes as such. Mm. But I think they play quite an important role for young people because it's almost like if you don't, if they see lots of people laughing about certain memes, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, oh, if you don't understand or you're not politically engaged, you feel kind of left out. So I think people sort of then jump in and think, oh, okay, I want to join a team which I agree with because this is quite funny and this is engaging and people are having a bit more fun with it and becoming Mm -hmm. sort of finding their own little groups that people agree with. So I think it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on what it leads people to do, right? That like Mm. something that brings people together and gives them a sense of solidarity and makes them feel like others are on the same side could be an active good in terms of your political ambitions if everyone then takes that sense of solidarity and goes out to do the follow-on work of moving the ball forward towards that agenda. If its consequence is that it leads them to believe that because everyone... That they interact with Mm. already thinks the same thing that they do. They can chill out about, you know, clearly this is all going to work out fine. Uh, I definitely think it does.
3: Uh, I think, you know,
2: many people in the social sciences are are quite skeptical about these forms of political communication, activism, you know, uh, whether they've got any potential to sort of produce change or to substitute older forms of of uh, more sort of traditional forms of political engagement. I wonder what your perspective is on that, whether you uh, feel optimistic about the potential of these forms of communication or organisation or activism to actually supplant some of the older, perhaps outmoded uh, ways of doing politics.
0: I feel like we have this conversation, this social media conversation politics a lot, like too much maybe, I'm not sure, but I think it is supplanting like when you see posters or like a conservative poster or a liberal poster I'm thinking who is that like who is that convincing if it just says like the name of the candidate or something like that I don't see how these traditional forms of like campaigning seems to convince anyone I I don't know if you were apolitical I don't see what would convince you in any even social media like I don't really see any substantive engagement even on social media I'm not sure like I, th- I, th- I still think it has an impact, but I think it's just being overplayed a lot, uh, the social media effect.
1: Yeah.
4: Ryan? D- definitely, I think when when the general election was called, a lot of, especially young people, were kind of perpetuating that the tactical, this was going to be the tactical voting election. And I think I they've think that, that said that in previous elections, and it's never really materialised. And I, think, I don't think this will um, materialise again, really. And I think it is partly because your social media is almost your self-fulfillment. You... You follow and you engage with people who are like-minded, and you, because almost to get a, to get possibly a sense of solidarity and also a sense of legitimacy that what you believe in is is right, is correct. And I think it's it's, and I think what happens then is that you become into say more the left wing bubble or the right wing bubble, and you lose sight of of what is going on. And I think like like Danny said earlier that if you looked at some social media pages, you would think that UKIP could get a landslide or Lib Dems will get a landslide. And I think the idea that the lack of actual understanding that you get from social media sometimes can definitely distort your view of, of the political kind of arena. Dana.
3: I think it's interesting though as to, is it really any different with mainstream press? Because my dad's uh, more right-wing and conservative-wing, so he will read The Daily Mail and right-wing publications, whereas I would read The Guardian because I'm more left-wing. Mm-hmm. So really, is it is it social media really any different from reading certain press that you know will back up your own political view or like in social media as well should you be looking at um, more independent sources which does come through more on the internet than it does in the press mm. and I think uh, it's always interesting talking to my dad who will go I'll say i oh, don't oh. read the Daily Mail because it's just a load of rubbish whereas he'll say well he will trust media press whereas I would and I think my generation would be less inclined to whereas he says the stuff on the internet I read is a load of rubbish as it is as well which depending on where you check your sources can and cannot be so I think Mm. it's it depends where you're getting your information yeah
1: the idea that the daily mail is more accurate than anything on the entire internet would be a bold (laughs) uh bold
4: claim for sure the only issue is, though, is that so if you take Twitter, for example, you have 140 characters to explain explain what you want to discuss or talk about, whereas traditional media, you generally, although it's often dominated by kind of red-top headlines, um, there is still at least some kind of more substantive um, information gathering there, as opposed to social media, which often is reduced to kind of more personal attacks or kind of funny jokes or memes or whatever you want to call them, like, I think that can often be an issue about the kind of substantive information that you can get from social media as opposed to kind of traditional outlets that you would that you would expect.
5: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the only way like social media can make a foreseeable impact is if like young people voted more. That would be the only that would be the one thing I would judge the impact of social media in elections. But as voters turn out is probably gonna be lowish, like in the mid forties, then it's gonna there like, might there are going to be questions on the impact of social media. But like I mean, come back to Danny's point about like, the all of the mainstream media, and newspapers, and social media, it's like some of the stuff the mail over some publishes. Like I mean, compared to social media, so, social media is like facts compared to like I mean, some of the stuff they've done. So, but also I think individual responsibility also got to be be highlighted as well because like with social media, for example, th- there are loads of choices on what on what one can read. People can make those choices. I'm the same. I'm the same with the newspapers. People can choose what newspapers they want to read. So, I think the idea of of social media being an issue, it could be that but in people's perceptions being an issue. Whereas, like I could always read the Telegraph or I could always read Breitbart. I'm not. Go, I'm not. I'm not going to because I've made that choice of not reading the Telegraph, I'm not reading my Bright i not reading Breitbart. Similarly. Like, like I mean like a left wing person or like we're pretty much left, but like someone could choose to read the canary or someone could look at like another Angry Voice or watch Jonathan Pye, you know, mm-hmm. we make those choices. And I think like individual choices are important and much shouldn't be like overvalued or undervalued, sorry. Mm-hmm.
2: So possibly you know, in kind of harking back to the golden age with pre social media it tends tend to overestimate yeah how much people were not already yeah. in a kind of media bubble in, in, uh, in, even when using the form of traditional media I mean I think that the, the wider I- issue here and it, it was kind of raised in the opening comments is that you know British politics now I, I think people are starting to realise this is the fundamental divide is generational in British politics now it is about age and the fact is this election like most of the other recent uh, elections and referenda and so on um, will probably be decided by people who are over 60 who are generally not big social media users so from that point of view we can expect it to be uh, you know uh, that effect to be uh, quite small and I just I, I wanted to kind of just get your take on that you know the generational divide and the, the age dimension I mean do you feel that or is it a widespread view amongst your generation that, you know, there's some grievance against the older generation that they monopolise politics, monopolise the agenda.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it an old people's country, and you're just uh, uh, renting a room in it at the moment? Uh, is that the vibe you
4: feel? I think I think that's definitely what a lot of people feel. If you look at social media again and look at kind of uh, young people's views generally, but I think that's wrong. In my opinion, I think that you can't. I think some people almost neglect that anyone over kind of 30 is anyone I'm not going not to say an age but anyone over a certain age is, has the wrong political views and their opinions aren't, aren't basically worthwhile and I think that is an issue because then you do have a, almost a standoff mm-hmm. and I think it's important I think it's possibly because of the social media bubble that, that younger people often tend to be in that you need to realise that everyone has an equal vote and I think I'm probably uh, different to many people that I know that that don't neglect anyone else's views. I think that's kind of... Right, well, because it, it
1: could turn pretty nasty pretty fast, right? Because, like, young people are like, how come these people's votes count because they're going to be dead soon? And then, like, <laughs> yeah. old people are like, uh, well, like, why? how can these naive children playing dress-up be allowed to make important decisions about our country's mm-hmm. future? And, you know, <laughs> take either of those lines of argument too far down the road of logic and you end up in a pretty bad place.
3: I think a lot of the uh, plates to- are scepticism plays a big role. I think for our generation, um, we're very sceptical of mainstream press and we're very sceptical then of where do the older generation get their information and if they're getting it from press sources that we don't really deem to be particularly um, reputable or reliable, then I think that comes into question. I know, again... I speak to my dad all the time. He gets most of his views from the Daily Mail. So then yeah, Your dad has become the, uh, the avatar the most for tall? right of centre. He's the uh, person I speak to mostly about politics within my family and how our views are so different. And where we go, our information is so different. And so often he will say, well, I get my views from mainstream press and I get more of my views... And I question more of the views through the internet and a bit more research into social media and things like that. So I think sometimes there is a bit of skepticism between younger voters of where have the older voters got their opinions from? Um, so, uh, I, yeah,
0: uh, I think for the EU referendum after the EU referendum that was like really apparent. Uh, this of resentment of the old and then. And you about, still kind of yeah. see it
1: now. People are like, oh, like, at what point could we hold it again when enough people will have yeah, died that the result the other way? Which is such a sinister way <laughs> of choosing to frame that point. Yeah. But I've heard it explicitly put that way more than once.
0: Yeah. But I think the selection there are some like, weird things where I don't think it's, it's as divided between the generations because the thing with the pensioners, the triple lock and the dementia tax or whatever, like now some pensioners are perhaps moving against the Conservatives. And I have a, a Tory friend and he makes this he makes this point, uh, some of my best friends some are some of my best friends clubs. are Tories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he, he makes this really interesting point. He was like, young people, uh, vote Tory so you can get rid of the triple lock. So he's sort of he's basically saying <laughs> so there is this before you think oh the Tory is part of the old, whatever, and Labour for the young, I think mm. this is starting to shift, so like this stark generation, generation divide is not as clear in this election than it was even in the EU referendum last year
2: Well, that's a, I think that's a really interesting point that this to me is that the the first movement on that question of intergenerational inequality seems to be happening during this election but it's coming from the Conservatives since so the Conservatives who are proposing to remove the triple lock because like Nixon goes to China, well, Theresa it, May goes to social and I think to, it could only uh, come from the Conservatives it's one of those issues where you know it, it, it's be suicidal for a a Labour government to to make those kind of claims and they're they're promising to protect the triple lock or this kind of thing which actually from the perspective of intergenerational inequality and Labour uh, having higher support amongst young people seems counterintuitive I mean I wonder if you know that you know we're seeing things about means testing of winter fuel which is a policy that people have have felt they had to defend um, or certainly this was the claim that well you can't take that away the, the pensioners will sort of Punish you politically for it. Do you think the tide is, is turning? Do you see anything on that score, uh, on that that question of generational um, equality? Right. I
4: think definitely. I think the fact that Theresa May felt comfortable enough to kind of launch those policies, only two years beforehand, David Cameron had committed to the triple lock, which really unproportionately and unsustainably protected pensioners. Um, pensions over basically anyone else in within the economy. And I think it shows also the weakness of Labour in that respect that they have almost on the back foot have gone, okay, we have to protect this no matter what. And at the end of the day, some of the policies that Theresa May and the Conservatives are looking to introduce, i.e. means testing of winter fuel, changes to the triple lock, are actually policies that if you look at traditional Labour views, they would actually support. They are they're almost within a socialist system it makes sure that those who are best off don't get as much benefits and and vice versa and I think possibly this has shown what I was kind of saying earlier about is the reason that young people aren't represented in politics like why is that, where does it come from and possibly the fact that it is down to, down to voter behaviour that Policies are generally aimed at those who vote the most. And because Theresa May thinks she can get such a majority, she doesn't need to bank on as much those older generation, those over 60 voters that generally come out in large proportions vote Conservative. And she feels confident she can lose a few of them to gain maybe a bit more of a a wide vote.
2: But realistically, you know, it doesn't look like she will lose many of them. You know, people who are over 60... Um, are basically in the bag, aren't they? Because they are extremely hostile to Corbyn on the whole. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. if that's part of the calculation. Those people are just not in play for the Conservatives to lose.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, I, mean, I think a generational divide is is apparent in what Theresa May's done with like social care, but but like mainly I think it's just tactical. Like yeah. like because like, I mean, as Mark said, I mean, she doesn't need those votes. She's got enough votes in the bag, as, 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 as the poll suggest. So like so like she can. Like put forward unpop- unpopular, policies, unpopular policies which in her eyes will attract another group of voters who could be locked in to vote Conservative in the next 10-15 years which could help the Conservatives in more and more elections. Mm. I think
3: there is definitely as well, on the other hand um, more left-wing parties going for, not completely but going for the younger vote more so than the Conservatives, possibly because they believe that the over 60s are almost inaccessible to the left, particularly with Jeremy Corbyn as leader. For example, Labour putting in um, no tuition fees. Um, I I think the Lib Dems put in something about legalising marijuana, which obviously is more of a younger people um, policy, I think. So yeah, I do think you see it on the other side that the over 60s and the older generation are almost untouchable to the left.
2: Mm -hmm. Here's something that I'm really interested in about the campaign and about what's happening in British politics at the moment. Uh, The Corbyn Labour Party, and I'm sure you will have heard these historical comparisons, there is a narrative about the Corbyn Labour Party that it is essentially reviving a form of politics that was considered old hat when I was voting in my first general election, you know, a long time ago. Um, And yet it seems to be enthusing a a serious number of uh, young people. So the idea of nationalisation You know, I would have said, you know, when I was voting in my first election, we've heard the end of nationalisation for good. You know... um, Well, when
1: Tony Blair was running for his first time in 1997, one of his... Big perceived political victories immediately before that was successfully removing from the Labour Party's charter uh, the idea that nationalisation was a like a central plank of what they intended. Exactly, to Exactly that
2: this was a, a, a kind of relic of the past and something that should rightly be consigned, you know, to history. Yeah, and, and across the Corbyn platform, there are policies which would have, uh, which really belong to the Labour Party of the seventies and eighties, which, frankly, is your grandparents politics Mm. you know so are you enthused by that the revival of those ideas or do you see it as kind of as you know i think many people who are professional commentators on politics see as rather nostalgic and backward looking
0: yeah
1: what what is getting so many young people to take a shine to policies that look pretty old school to the spectrum from the perspective of those who've been around longer
3: the younger generation hasn't seen it's some people it 's their first vote, and the old generation you speak to my family who or people who lean towards the Tories will say well i 'm not voting labor because they caused the financial crisis. Now we were probably too young to really get a sense of that sort of distaste for the Labour Party at that time that has lasted through. So I think we're almost... From all the way back
1: in 2008. Not all the way back. (laughs) (laughs) Not all the way
3: back, but we weren't really old enough to really take it massively into account. Whereas, obviously, people older than us, our parents, remember that and think... And my dad will always say, I made the most money under Thatcher. Well we didn't because we weren't around and so we don't really uh, we don't have that past mm. rhetoric that perhaps sticks with the diff- other generations mm-hmm.
0: for our generation like the centrist third way whatever that's the those are the politics of the past whereas for you uh the socialist gender would have been the policies of the past like people say oh corbyn's like break taking us back to the 70s and then i do see people like Hang on, there was you know cheaper housing for education. That sounds quite good. I see. I see a lot of young people saying that. So there is that dynamic playing. And there's a feeling. Oh, if the seventies were so bad, like I haven't seen like since I've been politically aware, I haven't really seen a good economy. Like I've always, I've only ever seen like crisis, and like I've never like seen proper growth. I think since I've ever been politically aware. So that's off. Like you can say, oh, bless the seventies. That's horrible, but. I haven't really seen anything great in the 2000s or the 2010s.
5: So. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think um, that it's because we've never seen um, Cummings policies before. We've we didn't we didn't experience the like 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 the we of discontent in the 70s, which obviously had a massive impact in people's perceptions in the past, like 30 years of British politics. And we didn't grow up in that climate. And when we when we look back at the 1970s and look at the political climate today, housing was cheap. There was more stable jobs. There were, you know, there were more economically, for op- more economic opportunities for young people at, at, at that time. And we almost felt like we want a piece of our pie. And, and with the economic climate now, where housing's really expensive, tuition fees, which I think made, which which has played a massive impact in young people's perceptions in in politics. So yeah, um, yeah.
4: I I mean the privatization of the railway. You'd have to be o- over twenty. For twenty odd to be to, to know when the pri- when the railways were privatised, I think that is part of it, and also the fact that young people generally in that outlook are more optimistic, and I think they possibly are aware more of maybe social injustice or injustice within within their lives. And if you look at the Conservative manifesto compared to the Labour manifesto, to, like today, the Conservative manifesto almost really doesn't set out any positive kind of optimistic policies, whereas the Labour is offering kind of garden and roses if if you look in that way. And I think. I think generally that Conservatives and Labour have always done that. And I think that is possibly why people often tend to vote towards Labour, maybe generational gap as well, that young people are more optimistic. And like that. I think one thing that has been interesting is I think Theresa May in her politics, whether you want to call it Mayism or not, I think is a change in towards David Cameron on previous Conservative that I think she herself does understand injustice in the economy. And I think that is something that possibly is more appealing to, to British voters that may have been traditionally Labour, that I think, like, some of the stuff she's saying about putting workers on company boards and things like that, they're quite radical policies and quite the understanding there is some kind of injustice um, in the kind of political system in the UK.
3: Possibly the different issues that affect the different generations. So mm. uh, my parents and grandparents, they already have mortgages, they already have jobs, they're sort of set at the moment in that sort of... or at least they are from my background... Sort of, that's not particularly affecting them. And they've already had the opportunities in sort of 70s, 80s when they bought their first house for 13 grand and sold it for 40 and had those advantages. And now our generation's going, hang on, <laughs> we don't get that advantage. I mean, we all, most of us need a degree to get a decent job and need 20 grand just for the deposit on a house. So I think there's kind of a, an anger almost in the, less, in the younger generation Um, That we're not getting the sort of um, same uh, advantages in that respect that perhaps the older generation did.
2: I mean there's some discussion within political science at the moment about whether uh, a kind of shift in social attitudes and values has occurred amongst people of your generation. So the people who precisely don't Remember, you know that your, your reference point is Blair, maybe rather than Thatcher, um, or even kind of earlier, the you know the Labour Party of the seventies. Of the um, and when I talk to students about things like a zero hour contract, a zero hour contract was the sort of nightmare situation for the Labour Party of the of the seventies. This was the, the thing that Thatcher was going to bring in this kind of insecure um, work. Jobs for life will be a thing of the past. You will be constantly striving to maintain yourself in employment. When I talk to people of your generation, they like zero-hour contracts. They like flexibility. They hate the idea of having a job for life. They hate the idea of staying in their hometown uh, and and working in one career forever, which was an aspiration for uh, you know uh, previous generations. So I wondered if you could say something about that. Corbyn has very little to say about that kind of changing pattern of work of life of the idea that you perhaps should pay something towards your own higher education that you should be uh willing to kind of adapt to the labour market and, and those kind of things he doesn't have a great deal to say about that other than we should reverse it so i wondered if you, you had a, any thoughts on that uh you know whether you, you might see those things differently rather than insecurity you see more autonomy uh, for example I think just to take on the
4: zero hours contract point, I think I'm personally I think my past three jobs have all been on zero hour contracts and for me I think they're quite a positive thing. I think the fact I'm not sure if it is in the twenty seventeen manifesto, but certainly the twenty fifteen manifesto, Labour were looking to tackle or abolish zero hour contracts. And I think for, for zero for, for students, especially university students, zero hours contracts are, are very, very beneficial. You can do work when you need to, you can refuse not to work if you don't want to, and I think that is possibly the problems with Jeremy Corbyn's almost 1970s Labour politics, that they aren't, whilst they are optimistic and are positive, they're not necessarily suiting with the current system of young people and and older people as well.
3: i possibly have an imposing view, because I also had a zero-hour contract, but I found it it is beneficial for students. I will definitely say that because obviously we have much more flexible lives. Sometimes we have ten hours a week, if that. Um, so it's much more flexible. But my problem is when single mothers with two kids have a zero hour contract and can't afford to pay their rent because one week they are working and the next week they're not, and they'll never know. They never know how much income they're going to get one week or the other. And I think there's possibly a lack of protection for that.
4: I think that's fair, but, but I think, um, again, again, possibly a rookie figure, but I think it is around two-thirds of people in zero-hour contracts want to be on a 0 hours contract. So I think for Labour to take on a kind of policy like that possibly shows their out-of-touch base with kind of general businessmen and kind of working-age people and general, general elections, you need to rely on businesses to support you and also working-age, working-age people.
5: Hmm. Yeah, I think... Labour's intentions are, are are pretty good in terms of like reducing it in inequality in, in what in what sort of other contrast can do. For example, like with like single parents who haven't got any job security, but um, yeah, with like young people, I mean, like, I mean, they are pretty good because um, like like there's more income for us. We can choose not to work when we don't want to work, and when we do want to work, we can do it in the hours which we want to work in. So I think that's what Jamie Corbyn needs to. Let like be be a lot more flexible in his approach in terms of in, in terms of like zero contracts and um getting young people on his side with that but all, but also reassuring people on said, um but like reassuring people on our contracts every single month is that and they'll be protected as well. It's but but it's a very difficult thing what like all parties have got to do and there's no real solution yet for it.
2: I wonder if it plays into a broader question that the the, uh, EU referendum did bring out to an extent about generational difference, and perhaps some people talking about differences in social values and attitudes now, in terms of younger people more likely to be enthusiastic about the opportunities that a more open, globalised, connected world might bring, whereas older people, perhaps, uh, or not just older people, but... Other categories of people um, may find themselves in a more defensive posture towards that uh, and find that more threatening um, than uh, a sort of raising opportunity so this sort of you know the view perhaps at times is that young people are very excited about this sort of Silicon Valley idea of how the world is going to be and it will be completely Mm. uh, you know creative destruction will be allowed to kind of uh, Rip through uh, the world, and you will be free to move around the world and, and, and operate with a, a great deal of autonomy, but that idea is quite threatening to 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 many groups in society yeah, and,
1: and it has been suggested in not just in the u k but in other places that i mean you know again, if I had a penny for every time someone had told me that the left right spectrum was now outmoded and yada 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 i 'd be a very rich man. but the latest version of it is that left and right doesn 't explain very well. Uh, the political divide at that time, it's focused more really around the divide between open society, open borders, flexible economics versus uh, some marriage of a narrower conception of the nation and identity, and also with that a narrower conception of uh, how the economy and the frontiers of of the country ought to be managed. Uh, yeah
4: right I think definitely I think again if you kind of use Brexit as a as a observation as well the fact that John MacDonald and Jeremy Corbyn are very quite Eurosceptic and Jeremy Corbyn had a very very limited role in uh, maintaining it I think he commented himself he was 7 out of 10 but most people know that he was quite Eurosceptic um, as a whole to the EU I think that shows one the left right kind of spectrum that a lot of people were leaving, the voters for the EU for very, very different reasons.
3: Um, one of the issues I think stands out for me for Generation Divide is identity. In terms of um, national identity or international identity, however you want to put it. If you speak to my parents or grandparents... They are very Everyone's to want to do, by the I know, I know. Like, I feel but like you've, like, you've they, given them a lot
1: of homework uh, in well, it's terms of like, so, their views like, are so different
3: Their yeah. views are so different to mine because most of them didn't go to university and they've lived in uh, Lincolnshire, which is, tends to be the area that I live in. You could put a plank award as the Tory MP and it would still win. Mm-hmm. So it tends to be quite a, a point of reference. They will always... Uh, be quite narrowed down in terms of their um, identity so they'll identify as English, even not even British sometimes, it's English and whereas I think younger generations tend to be a bit broader I mean the British or even European um, or even not really some people don't tend to find that particularly important particularly with social media because you connect people across the world very very quickly and you come across similar views from completely different areas that you would not be in contact with otherwise. So I think it kind of breaks down your own mental borders almost in terms of who you communicate with and who you um, relate to, which I think is different from different generations.
1: Yeah, I mean, since the the, uh, the Brexit referendum, I have heard a very large number, both directly and in, uh, you know, indirectly through, through media coverage, etc., people... Who are you know somewhere from their late teens to their mid twenties talking about the loss of their European citizenship and the blow that they feel that this strikes at like their future plans and the sense of identity they had and all of that um, like above that age bracket the only people that I have heard talk in that way are either people who were born in a different European country and live here now or people who are like professional scholars of the European Union and its institutions the average person who's like 40 45 years old, may, they may not be glad we're leaving the European Union but they don't characterize it in that way and it doesn't, they don't seem to feel the same sense that a part of their identity uh, has been challenged so fundamentally So it, it, it's, there's definitely a qualitative difference in the emotional relationship that a lot of younger people seem to have had with the idea of being European, that you know, even from a relatively pro, someone well disposed towards the EU, uh, such as myself in my age bracket, it's not quite the same. Uh, I, I don't think.
2: Is that the way you felt about the, the Brexit vote? That it, it was, it had that connotation to you. It wasn't just a calculation of costs and benefits. It was something to do with a loss of a, a
5: wider identity. Um, yeah, um, yeah, um, I think so because like, I voted for Remain, yeah, like, because I wanted to stay in the European Union. But being able to travel around Europe for not that much money, like, like interacting with different people, different cultures, different different countries, and, uh, and also potentially being able to work freely around around Europe, that, that that's a huge incentive for for like young people where it's just being stuck in the UK, being stuck in England. It's not that. It's not that. Appetising, to be honest. Mm. For example, being able to work in Berlin, that's but that, that's that's a bigger incentive. Or or, or or being able to work in Paris, that's that's a lot more accessible for like young people. And in like into into the bre- Brexit referendum going the way it did, that they take a bit of a blow for young people. I'm I'm like the increased worry of being able to travel around Europe or needing a visa to go around Europe, which is like simply. Un- which was like unheard of 10 years ago.
1: And the phrase stuck in the UK is interesting because like you get the impression that there are these two totally different constituencies in in, in the UK. People who want to build a wall because the assumption is everybody wants to get in and you'll be safe behind it. And then people who dread that like, this metaphorical wall gets built and you're trapped within it and you, you, you can't get out.
4: I'm not sure to kind of note that everyone, everyone of a young age has this kind of affection towards the European Union. I think there is also, I think, that would be more synoptic with possibly more the university the more kind of like socially elite young individuals I think I think we often as students of the university are also in a little bit of a bubble about we're we are good representations of every single individual as a young person which I think generally we're not like there's a large majority of young people who didn't go to still didn't go to university who have a very different experiences to say people who go to university and I think the idea of that most people in, most young people have a connotation that they are European, I think, is, is hugely overestimated. Is
0: that- yeah, I think, yeah, just especially in the referendum campaign when they said, Oh, yeah, you can live and work and travel in Europe. I think that was focused at a very small, like, social group. And I think that's, yeah, there's this talk about the left right, spe- back to what you said about the left right spectrum being dead and this new globalist versus nationalist. I think this, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel because I say. The globalists, like, free trade, the nationalists want protectionism. I feel, I don't know if someone who, like, prefers the more state interventionist economics, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like there are people being left out of this new left-right thing people are drawing, where there are people who do want more state intervention, but still want an open, like, tolerant globalized society. I don't no. know.
1: The, yeah, I, I guess the sort yeah. of the old the classic... Sort of social, well, a, a variant on the socially yeah. liberal, economically liberal yeah. four quadrants thing that uh, yeah. that that never seems to quite suit everyone all of the time. <laughs> Danny,
3: um, I was going to say to do with the EU referendum again. I think there is a divide between possibly where you live in terms of and your education as well. From a university perspective, that lives in quite a multicultural s- society, um, you tend to have obviously immigration was a huge issue with the referendum for a lot of people and you tend to have less of a possibly hardline view because you've grown up or you live with lots of multicultural people you don't find a problem with it and you almost enjoy it it's possibly for me one of the most um joyful things about being at university is the diversity of people whereas if you go back to lincolnshire where There isn't particularly a lot of diversity in a lot of areas. And a lot of people who, from my background and the area that I come from, haven't been to university. So that's not something that they uh, resonate with. And migration has seen more of a threat to what they relate to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely interesting to do with where you are now, socially.
1: Well, this election was looking like it was going to be all about the domestic policies uh for quite some time uh, there was a little bit of talk about terrorism in reference to whether or not jeremy corbyn was a bit soft on the ira back in the 1980s um which i imagine is a really high priority for the youth vote um but uh The attack that took place in uh, Manchester this week has absolutely changed uh, changed the conversation. And uh, it it was, I suppose, we 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 should say before we go on to discuss the politics of it, that of course it was a a a monstrous uh, attack on defenceless civilians. And our thoughts are with all of those who, who who were affected by it. Nevertheless. It will need to be responded to in political and policy terms, and that means that the fact that it 's fallen in an election campaign is going uh, is going to be consequential that the parties are going to suddenly have to answer questions they might not have had to answer otherwise about you know, what the nature of this threat is and how we should how we should respond to it um, What do people here think uh both about the political consequences of it um for how the campaign goes and also your reaction to it as a set of events um, that uh, the, the, the you need to maybe take a view on the appropriate policy response too. Danny.
3: Um, personally, I think um, the terrorist attack will bring out a huge amount of nationalism, as we've already talked about, because I think it's almost... Um, it, it feels definitely like an attack on your own culture or on your own country, and it can make people feel quite defensive And then that spins back on policy as well. Already today, you look at newspapers and uh, media accounts, and there's definitely a rhetoric of, um, obviously, Theresa May specifically has sent the army in, almost, is what what some of the rhetoric is. And then it spins around again on... this is
1: the use of the armed forces to do some of the guarding duty that armed police were doing, theoretically, so that the armed police can... Perform formal police like, even has a big symbolic visual.
3: Yeah, and I think already it's uh, it's been a portrayal of Theresa May being this sort of headstrong woman that's pushed um, the armed forces in to protect the, their citizens almost. And also, I've seen a little bit of rhetoric in terms of uh, Jeremy Corbyn can't be trusted because he's a pacifist and therefore, and he's voted against uh, intervention which obviously always works, as history has shown. Yeah, but um, one thing
1: we know will definitely resolve the problem of domestic British terrorism. It's uh, it's, it's greater foreign intervention. Oh,
3: definitely. Yeah. But <laughs> there is definitely a rhetoric, again, of he will fail to address the issue, which I think will touch a lot of people's hearts, because obviously young children have been killed. It's a horrendous um, act. And I think it will touch a lot of people and push a lot of people to pick somebody who they think will defend people.
4: I think, obviously there's already been accusations towards kind of Theresa May that this kind of election like what the subsequent actions have been that kind of withholding the campaign and uh, just uh, using the army as a to kind of extend the police force is, is kind of an attempt of an electioneering which I think is pretty unuseful in terms of in terms of the campaign but I think what it will do is it will kind of bring back the stark reality of, of really what the basic function of the government is is to kind of offer protection and and kind of I think it will detract away from some of the smaller policies, i.e., around pensions. And I think, I think it will end up being, I think, whilst I think this is dominating the campaign anyway, I think it will fur- add, add further fuel to the idea that it is very much about who is going to be the next Prime Minister. And I think it will add another kind of question in the back of most voters' minds about who do they want to be leading the Brexit talks, leading our security forces. And I think that will come down to very much
5: Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the attacks will like, highlight the presidentialisation of, of of the campaign and the differences between um, Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn. And, and Theresa May, through like bringing out the army, being being seen as a strong and stable leader, compared to Jeremy Corbyn, who who may not do that, who who has different views with his with like pacifistic views. But in terms of what I'm doing, we're about the increased nationalism about about. about the attack I live near Manchester and. In, in reaction of Manchester's been the complete opposite of of uh, it has been one of togetherness, one of one of solidarity, which is which has gone against the nationalistic un, un, undercurrents what are unfortunately start, starting to creep in a few, a few days after 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 the after the attack.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd say like it's always it's hard to talk about like what is response to the crisis and what is electioneering like especially with the soldiers on the streets like you said you like hinted that is pretty symbolic like i'm not sure what that's meant to do but at the same time if it's taking off if it's giving the police responsibilities to do other things then that's okay but i mean like if yeah. you
1: ask the government like why is this justified that yeah. is the answer they would give you yeah but i mean it's good. really it, you one might read other motives into it
0: yeah and I was reading. Um, I was reading this really good comment piece where they said, uh, "There's no campaigning, but this is the best part of the conservative campaign yet." But so it's always like, but it's it's like very, mm. like you know, like difficult to talk about it because you don't know when it's responding to a serious crisis and when it's actually just party politics. I mean, it's very difficult to talk mm. about. I feel.
1: Well, they often say that, like with, within elections, some of the political science says that. Um, You know, it's not just about, like, what the different positions of the parties are on X, Y, and Z. It's about the framing of the election. What is the main cleavage that this is a vote about? And if more people go into it with a mindset that it's about who is safe to be trusted with national security, even with the exact same manifestos and leaders, you get a different result than if people go into it with the mindset, like, what is the best... Um, uh, government to run the economy, or what is the best government to uh, to oversee Brexit negotiations? Uh, so you could say that the simple presence of the issue in the foreground of the debate, even aside from any substantive promises either side makes, uh, can could have a, uh, could have
2: an impact. Yeah, yeah I, d- I mean, obviously, with something like this, it feels very. Crass to talk about yeah. how it might benefit you know either a campaign or how it could be even used in a campaign, but I think you know I tend to agree with what people have, have said about you know the, the the likely effect of this is that it forces people to consider you know uh, as much as I might uh, uh, have a particular view about how social care should be organized. You know, issues around security uh, rather than perhaps post material kind of issues set are likely to always take precedence. And politics is not just about a rational choice type calculation of cost and benefit. There's an emotional and visceral element to it. And I think a lot of people will make a decision on the basis of who can I realistically imagine undertaking those. Tasks when the chips are down, in a crisis, in a national emergency, uh, giving those statements when you know uh, people have been killed, uh, and maybe that is, is well certainly I think that is likely to be a much higher priority for many voters than it picking apart individual policies. Perhaps uh, it's who do you really have confidence in, who resembles a leader um, uh, when the chips are down.
3: I think it will bring into force as well the issue of migration as these things do. Um the gentleman, I believe, a uh, gentleman <laughs> the murderer was um, from a Libyan descent. And his Born parents in were just one of the UK, of the UK though. The UK, though. Yeah. 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 From a Libyan descent. His parents were Libyan refugees. And I do think, obviously, there will be people who will question is it safe to have refugees and immigrants in the country. There will be people who will naturally question that and then look at party politics in terms of immigration and as to whether or not that will be an issue high on people's agenda, Mm -hmm. rightly or wrongly.
1: When you do cast your vote, what is the main issue, the, the number one priority that will be on your mind?
3: Personally, I think it's social equality is a huge thing for me. There is such a huge divide between rich and poor at this point and I just think it's got to a point now where I will vote not just for myself, but for people who are worse off than myself. And um, it's, it's very important to me um, mm. that we strive for a more equal society.
4: Right. I think at the end of the day, everyone tends to vote on their own kind of individual rational choice. What what are they going to get out of whoever they vote for? And so I think that would, drives my kind of decision about what can I get out of this... I, I education policy, health policy, that are the kind of things that kind of dictate. But I think also, me individually, I think there's quite a scepticism about the realistic... the ability for them to actually carry out what they're saying. So I think it's a combination between views around the party and the individual of who will lead the next government combined with what they are actually saying that I can get out of it to to kind of dictate my choice. Mm
5: -hmm. Okay. Um, Yeah, um, I think individual rational choice will it'll be in my back of my mind when I turn out to vote, but, like, the town where I grew up in and seeing, like, the massive inequality in the town I grew up in, and I think that'll... And, what and is that like, town, policies, by the way? Um, Linkages have plenty of name
1: checks, Saint Helens so should give you fair fair dealings. St. Helens, yeah.
5: Um, and just to see, like, the um, massive inequality in St. Helens, and so that all select so, like, policies which'll benefit that town and, b- and, b- and benefit people who aren't as lucky as me will obviously play a huge impact in, in who whoever vote for in my election mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think this is sort of cast as the
0: Brexit election but I think that's I think that's completely been overrun by all these other issues so going back to what you guys were saying about equality and opportunity and this sort of stuff that's what I'd be casting my vote on and I think a growing number of people might be like bre- this is meant to be the Brexit leadership and all of that but it'll be interesting to see how much of the campaign is dominated, well, as we go on, donated by leadership for Brexit versus all the other issues of government. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think we've set the world to rights. Uh, thank you very much for, for, for being with us. You can find us on Twitter at Poll World View. Please follow us there or on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Poll World Our guests today have been Mark Goodwin, who I'm sure will be, will be back with us again in future. Thanks for being with us, Mark. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, thanks
2: welcome. for having me. Um, I am on Twitter at Mark R. Goodwin. Okay,
1: uh, thank you very much to our student guests uh, who have taken on the the, uh, the tricky role of representing their cohort uh, for, for the purposes of this discussion. Uh, thanks to Danny, to Dave, to Zed, and to ryan for your, for your time and for your contributions i 've been Adam Quinn. You can find me on Facebook, standing next to Lyndon Johnson uh, in the photograph if you want to find me there uh, adam Quinn one hundred and sixty one or I'm on Twitter at Adam James Quinn. Please uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, leave us a star rating to help people discover the pod. Uh, share us uh, on social media. Uh, give us uh, uh, your recommendation by word of mouth. We would really, very much, uh, very much appreciate that. And that goes for our guests uh, as well as uh, as well as our listeners. Um, our producer has been Connor McKenna and we've been coming to you from the Political Science and International Studies Department of the University of Birmingham in England and we should add that we are these days uh, sponsored by the kind support of the Alumni Impact Fund so thank you very much to them for their, their generosity uh, and support. We'll be back soon we very much hope you will be too. Bye Bye Bye, Bye.